Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. I am so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. This is our fourth and final Sunday of Advent. Uh, We're excited for that. It's also Christmas Eve. I guess I should finish the intro here at Valley View Friends Church. We like to say that we are learning how to live as God's people. And we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. And I just want to wish all of you who are listening a Merry Christmas. And I've got Christmas on my mind right now. I'm thinking back to a year where my parents uh, were just working really hard to find the right gift for my cousin. We were very close, saw each other all the time. And so it really was more like a brother than a cousin. And so uh, he was around six years old, full of energy, full of some mischief, kind mischief, And after selecting a few of the gifts they knew they were going to get for him, they found something that they just thought was irresistible. They, my parents were walking down the toy aisle at the store, and as they turned the corner there, a beam of light came down from heaven onto a drum set. A small drum set. It had a kick drum and a snare and a couple of toms and, of course, cymbals, right? You need those. It was a complete drum kit, just sized for about a first grader. It was perfect. And they stood there and they asked themselves the question, should we really get this for him? My parents knew he would love it. He didn't have anything like a drum set. They also knew, and understandably so, that his parents would hate it. The drum kit was called the Thunder Drum Set, and that name was both exciting and a warning. I mean, you got to be careful when you buy something like that. And they purchased the drum kit. On Christmas Day, we were at my aunt's house, and my cousin was unwrapping his presents. He was almost worn out from unwrapping so many presents. It was at the end of all the celebration, and my parents said, there's one more gift. And my dad went out and got out from the car a giant wrapped box. And as soon as my cousin saw, as he began pulling off the wrapping paper, that it was a drum set, he was over the moon with excitement. And my aunt simply said, oh, (laughs) You really shouldn't have. He played those drums like a madman. We could barely put them together without him already just smashing the drums with the drumsticks. By the next day, the drums were moved down to a play space in the basement. And after a couple weeks, maybe two weeks, three weeks, I know it was just less than a month later, all the drums were totally blown out and broken. We suspect that my cousin's enthusiasm had been the main perpetrator of breaking up the drums, but perhaps they were put out of their misery by my aunt as well. It takes a certain kind of relationship, a certain kind of love, to give a drum set to someone else's child. (laughs) I hope we can see the humor in that. In truth, it was all meant in fun. My parents wanted to thrill my cousin knowing that the gift would probably be short-lived. And though they might find the idea of a drum set funny and a bit annoying, it was a gift given totally out of love, even to my aunt and uncle. Love is our theme for this fourth week of Advent, and I hope for you that the Christmas season is a time to express love for those you care about and to be loved. And I want you to hear this today. However good or difficult the holidays are for you, you are loved by Jesus. 
There's a story about a nun who was asked to speak at the 2006 dinner for the Ironman athletes. The nun was Sister Madonna Butter, and she was uh, not there to give a trite invocation before the meal, but was a veteran participant, and she was asked to speak a few words of encouragement to her fellow competitors. She was nicknamed the Iron Nun. And uh, Sister Madonna would eventually become the 2012 world record holder in her age group and the oldest person at age 82 to complete the 2.4-mile swim, the 112-mile bike ride, and the 26.2-mile run that makes up the Ironman Triathlon. Well, that evening at that dinner, her message was simple. Tomorrow, when things get tough out there... When things get tough out there, remember, you were loved into existence. If you get discouraged and you want to quit, if you are injured and you can't finish, if things don't go the way you hope, even though you've trained for this day for months or even years, even then remember, you were loved into existence. A competitor herself, with several age group world records and several running events to her name, she wanted to remind the group of dedicated performers that the most important thing about them was true. It was true about them before they had performed at all. They were loved into existence, and that's true for you. Jesus was born in a manger that first Christmas out of love for you. And the question is, is how will you respond to Jesus? Our scripture today is a familiar one. It's about Mary finding out that she'll become pregnant, that she will be a virgin giving birth to Jesus, the Messiah. It's scary news and wonderful news all in one. And it's a story that expresses God's love. But it's also a story that asks each of us how we respond to God's call for our own life. How do we respond to God when he asks us, to join him and to be a part of his kingdom. So let's go ahead and read the text. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and it goes like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from the Lord will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At the outset of this encounter, Mary is described as greatly troubled. She hears this news and she's troubled. She's struggling. 
And this is understandable. This is big news and hard to comprehend. And God has informed her that she, a virgin, will give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. The arrival of the Messiah is good news, but through her, through Mary? Mary has her whole life ahead of her, and she's engaged to be married to Joseph. And with that, I want to have a few ideas that I want to present to you for you to keep in mind some context here, how big this news is. Engagement in New Testament Israel. Uh, it was it's, Engagement's a lot more involved and binding than engagement in our culture today. And engagement today, it's a promise, but it can be broken right up to the moment of I do at a wedding. We see all the, the television dramas where someone stands up in the middle of a wedding and then interrupts and stops it before it happens. And there's no real repercussions other than people are upset. In the time of Mary... Engagement was binding. It involved contracts and an exchange of the bride price. Uh, and it usually lasted about a year, at least a year. An engagement in Mary's time could only be dissolved by death or divorce. Joseph and Mary, though they're not married yet, were considered a legal couple bound to each other. And so, this is a big deal. It's going to look strange to everybody else that Mary's pregnant. No one's going to believe that Mary is now suddenly pregnant and still a virgin. They will think she's unfaithful, if not unfaithful to Joseph, to the expectations of engagement. And this is terrifying. But Mary knew that she hadn't done anything wrong, and she knew that God was good and trustworthy, and that he was about to do something wonderful in love for Israel. What he does is wonderful for Israel and wonderful for the world and ultimately for Mary too. And so I want to challenge you because Mary is challenged to respond to God. Will she receive what he's going to do? Will she say, okay, or will she reject? And so the challenge for you is you are called to respond to God. You are called to respond to his love. How will you respond? There's a simple detail that bookends our text today. Uh, at the beginning and the end of the story, it's mentioned that Elizabeth, Mary's aunt, is in the sixth month of her own miraculous pregnancy. And that detail is there to draw attention to Elizabeth's very similar story. And it's going to draw our attention to what just previously happened in the Gospel of Luke, when Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, finds out that it's going to have a kid. Now, Elizabeth is so similar. She and her husband, they have not been able to have children. They're now old, and children seem like an impossibility. But God shows up and blesses them with a son. And the angel Gabriel, even, same angel, comes to Zechariah to share the news and so, we cannot help but compare Zechariah's situation and reaction to Mary's situation and reaction to the angel Gabriel showing up. And in that, there's the question of, well, what, do we, what will we do when God asks us to serve him? So, let's start with Zechariah. Um, I'm not going to read the text. You can go ahead. It's just the previous story in Luke chapter 1. Uh, but let's take a look at him for a moment. He's Zechariah. He's, first of all, he's, he's a man. Uh, he's well-established in a family in Israel. Uh, him being a man gives him a certain amount of authority. That's just the way the culture was. Zechariah is a priest. 
And so he has the power and authority of a priest, the respect that a priest in Israel would have. And he's currently, when he encounters Gabriel, on assignment in the temple in Jerusalem. So he's in the center of Israel, the capital, and he's at the heart of faith and power. And while he's there, he comes up as it's his turn to burn incense in the temple. This would have been at a very specific altar just outside the curtain of the holy that separates off the Holy of Holies where God's very presence resided. So it's a very spiritual place. And Zechariah, he's the only person present when he's doing this. Everybody else is waiting outside for him to finish his task. And then in that moment in the heart of Israel at the capital city at the temple as a priest worshiping just before the very presence of God. God, the angel of the Lord shows up to Zechariah, and Zechariah is startled, and he's gripped by fear, and that's a very normal response. And the angel tells him that his prayers have been answered, but Zechariah has his doubts. He sees impossibility, and he says he and his wife are too old. How's this going to happen? And Zechariah wants assurances. That's a difference. And it is then that Gabriel reveals his own identity and then pronounces that Zechariah won't be able to talk till the baby boy is born and named. Zechariah has a lot going for him. He has the authority of being a man, a priest. He encounters the angel of Gabriel just outside the heart of God's temple. Uh, just read, expect such a meeting to happen. And this all happens in the heart of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, during a powerful moment of worship. All things are going Zechariah's way, and he responds with doubt. And he wants assurances. It's different. Now, let's look at Mary. First, she's a woman. So, Automatically, she's in a smaller position than Zechariah. She's young in a culture that values age and wisdom. Uh, she could be as young as, because these engagements started very young, she could be as young as 12. Likely, she's a little older. She could be 12 years old. Women don't have a lot of authority in this culture. They're not even thought to be a reliable witness in a court of law. She's very poor. We know that later when they offer uh, sacrifice at the temple. There is not much in Mary that we would look at and say, this person is going to go change the world. And then there's this moment. <laughs> and the angel shows up. But the thing is, is that moment, the eyes of the world don't see a lot in Mary. Her value in the eyes of the community is her, just in her ability to have a family. She doesn't have the credentials or authority of a priest. So Gabriel shows up and meets with her, not in a temple in Jerusalem, but in a small backwater town of Nazareth. In fact, <laughs> Nazareth is so out of the way and so... Um, uh, a place of, uh, well, it's famous for one thing. So you can read in John 1 6, where, you know, no one believes that anything good can come from Nazareth. Can anything good come, come from there? Is the quote? Seems like the opposite. Everything is opposite for Mary as it is for Zechariah. And yet she, she even responds the same way with fear. But actually, her fear is greater. Uh, it's the same word in Greek, she has fear, but it's intensified with another word. So she is not just fearful, she is greatly fearful. She is greatly troubled. Um, 
Zechariah's news will bring him the blessing he's always wanted. Mary's news is going to bring her character into question and make her the subject of ridicule and whispers. Mary's uncertain if all, all this happens. And Zachariah's uncertain too, but he wants assurances. She just doesn't know because how this is going to happen because a virgin birth has never happened before. Zechariah has his response with doubt. And Mary responds with a simple word of submission. I am the Lord's servant. And that is the difference. Both Zechariah and Mary encounter God. Both serve God, but one stumbles. How will you respond to God's call? Are you even available to God? Are you listening to Him? Mary was available. She was listening. Do you doubt? Doubt is one thing, but you can't live in doubt forever. At some point, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to stay in your doubt, or are you going to trust in the Lord? Perhaps... You're hearing what who God is and who Jesus is, and you're seeing what God asks of his people, and you're going, you know, my own resources, my own abilities, they're small. Are you letting your own resources and abilities limit what you are willing to do for God? All that God requires of you, of me, is that we would be available to him, that we would be willing to serve him, that we would be willing to say yes to what he wants to do in our lives. One particular Bible commentator writing on this passage, talking about Mary uh, and Mary saying yes, is he said that when she said yes, she was literally filled with Jesus. She became a virgin who was pregnant with Christ. Okay. And then the commentator continued on and said, you know, as Christians, we talk about inviting Jesus into our hearts and Jesus living in us. And so we're not all that different from Mary in that we're supposed to have Christ in us. It's more spiritual than literal, right? Well, is it though? And the question is, is are we willing to say yes? Are we willing to be humble? Are we willing to serve? Jesus is, Jesus in you is going to show up in the way that you treat and care for others. Jesus in you is going to show up in your ethics and character. And Jesus in you is going to show when you say yes to God over and over and over. And with that in mind, I'd like to mention someone else who's visited by the angel of the Lord in the Christmas story. He's mentioned in this passage, Joseph. We've got to go to Matthew to hear his story. And then again, I'm not going to read it to you, but just want to recount a little bit about it. Joseph, he gets even less than Zechariah and Mary. Um, Zechariah gets an encounter in the temple. Mary gets a face-to-face encounter in her home, presumably. Joseph doesn't get face-to-face encounters, not a temple encounter, but a dream. I always feel bad for the guy on that. I think of all people, he should get a face-to-face word from the Lord. But interestingly enough, Joseph is a guy who, in even though it's a smaller visitation, it's no less powerful, and, and Joseph is already showing his character. He's trying to figure out how to separate himself from Mary kindly. He doesn't want to shame her. He doesn't want to bring uh, hardship upon her. 
And Joseph, after he encounters an angel in his dream, he responds very similar to the way that Mary does. He didn't say anything, but his actions, he is very available to the Lord and he serves God just as he's asked to do. And the end result is that Joseph becomes a much needed protector to Mary and baby Jesus. And I love these words by Daniel Darling about Joseph's response. He he writes these words, Joseph exhibited the true spirit of adoption. It is a vivid picture, both of God's adoption of us as his children in Christ, but also as the call of every believer has in welcoming into our homes and communities the world's most vulnerable and forgotten. It was Jesus' brother James who would later write that true religion is defined by care for orphans and widows. It's James 1.27. With Russell Moore, we can speculate that perhaps James first learned this by watching Joseph. Did the image of Joseph linger in James' mind as he inscribed the words of an orphan protecting living faith? Ultimately, we do not really know what happens to Joseph after he's mentioned uh, in the visit by Jesus to the temple at the age of 12. He doesn't show up again in the scriptures, but there is reason to believe that perhaps he met an untimely death. In every other passage of scripture where the family's featured, it's only Mary and Jesus' siblings who are mentioned, giving that he was likely an older than Mary, and life expectancy for the first century peasant Jew was not great. It could be that losing his father, his earthly father, was Jesus' first instance of grief and human suffering. All that to say, Joseph didn't have power or resources to give to Mary and Jesus, but he gave of himself. And that's a call we can imitate. We can give of ourselves to those in need around us. And even more so, we can give ourselves to God. And that is a powerful act of love. And so I want to come back to the idea that Christmas, the idea of Christmas, the holiday of Christmas, the first Christmas especially, is about God's love for you. We can hardly talk about Christmas. I mean real Christmas, the birth of Jesus, without talking about God's love for you. Stuart Briscoe writes these words, The spirit of Christmas needs to be superseded by the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christmas is annual. The spirit of Christ is eternal. The spirit of Christmas is sentimental. The spirit of Christ is supernatural. The spirit of Christmas is a human product. The spirit of Christ is a divine person, and that makes all the difference in the world. So I'd remind you, Christmas is about God's love for you, because Christmas leads to Easter. Jesus' birth leads to death on a cross, and that's all for you. God loves you, and he desires your redemption. The question is, is will you receive his love? That's the question I have for you today. What will you do, and how will you respond? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us. That in our smallness, in our sinfulness, and even in our doubts, you reached out to us in your love. Lord, help us to reach back to you, not with grand plans or zeal to shake the world, but with humble hearts that are willing to say yes to whatever work you call us to. Help us this day to understand your love for us a little more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.